The word return can carry a wide array of impact and meaning. During World War II, it was used in what is now a famous quote and has been used many times through satire and meaningful statements alike. The statement that Douglas MacArthur made, that I shall return. Parents have used it to let their children know when they will be back from a date night or with the hint that the house needs to be clean when they get back. I'm sure all kids love that. It may be used in direction uh, for parents letting the babysitter know when they can exhale and have a good evening because they're returning. The word has been used to title sequels in movies and books. It's used to describe sending a bought product back to the company from which you bought it, whether you liked it or it was broken or not. Oftentimes, the word carries a sense of anticipation. In the, in the case of parents coming back from a date or, tr- date or trip or a family coming back for a visit, maybe it's grandparents coming to visit. There's an, a, a, again, returning for another visit. Anticipation is involved. The anticipation typically produces action to prepare for the return. In the case of kids and parents, cleaning is done, well, hopefully, and the wish is there that they do not return early. In fact, husbands, I don't know about you, but has your wife ever been gone for a few days? And those few days that your wife is gone, you revert back to those bachelor days where the house is so spick and span that you can see it shining. My wife was just gone to, uh, at a teacher's convention Thursday and Friday, and it's easy because we, the three kids were at home, so I could blame them for all of it. But our topic this morning has a far more eternal weight of importance behind the word return. This morning we're going to be looking at the return of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian here this morning, I I pray that this is one of the most exciting things to talk about. There are implications, uh, and there's a lot in our passage, really the chapter that we're going to be looking at this morning. We aren't going to be looking at specifically all the chapter. That's a lot of text. There's a lot there. But I really want to be focusing on them, be focusing on verses 42 through 51, on the idea of are we ready for the Lord's return? Are we prepared for the Lord's return? Are we preparing for the Lord's return? And so really the, the message this morning is, is, is fairly simple. It's not, we're not going to dive into the, all the time, and we'll be looking at some of the first part of the chapter because you can't really study this chapter in its little paragraphs. It's a little tougher because it's all very much related. I also don't want to steal Andy's thunder of where he'll probably be at this in like 15 weeks. I know there's not that many weeks to the, the quarter, but you know the Lord's return, though, is something that we can all celebrate. As believers, we can celebrate that. Let's look at our text this morning. Just We're going to be down in verse 42. I'll be referencing back, and, and we'll be seeing some of the verses prior to this. But I just want to start reading in our primary text this morning. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But, the sh- but be sure of this, that if the, the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would, never, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed 
his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave from whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. And the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As we are looking at this, really our centralized concern with, is with the Christian's preparation for the Lord's return. Leading up to this passage that Christ is explaining the reason for the preparation. If you look at the very beginning of chapter 24, we see Jesus has come from the temple and, and was going away. And when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him, and he said to them, Do you not see the, the, all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and privately saying, Tell us when will all these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So here at the beginning of Matthew 24, we find the disciples asking what the signs will be for the destruction of the temple and Christ coming back. And so Jesus begins to explain to them and give them an answer. And so as he's giving them this answer, he begins in verse 4 of giving that answer. He says, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You'll be hearing of roars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. And so he begins to explain to them, he's like, listen, there are going to be people coming that are going to deceive you. You know that, that I will be returning. A sign of that is that, that people will be coming and preaching in my name and, 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 pre and declaring that they are a Christ. You see how he says, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Now this passage is not referring to the rapture. Uh, it's referring to the second coming of Christ. And, and really, uh, there's different people take different perspectives on it, but if you look throughout text, I truly believe that really the second coming of Christ begins with the rapture of the church and finalizes with his physical return here to earth. You know, when, as I was studying, I was thinking through this, and I was even talking with Pastor a little bit before he left. You know, as Christ's first coming lasted how long? 33 years. So it's not illogical to see that the part that his second coming is not just the fact that he's setting his foot here on earth. There's a, the, the beginning of, of the end. Jesus is saying this is what's going to happen at the beginning of the end. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. And he begins, he says, verse 7, nation will rise against nation. 
The entirety of Christ's return and the setting up of his kingdom impacts the church. And Paul states that the rapture will happen in the twinkling of an eye. So you say, if this passage is not talking about the rapture, then, then what is it about this preparedness? Why do we have to, we, if the church is raptured and isn't here during this time, then, then what, how does this impact us as the church? Well, we see in Scripture that what? We don't know when the rapture is going to happen either. We don't know when the, 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 this time period, the church age, is going to end. We do not know when these things are going to take place. And so we need to be preparing. And so Jesus' main point in these verses is to teach the disciples that they need to be busy, faithfully, wisely, and actively doing the work he had called them to perform. Christ's return is the most impactful return throughout the entirety of human history. So we need to be alert. The first point, really, that we're going to see this morning as we look at our main idea is that the Christian must faithfully and diligently serve the Lord. Because Christ is coming again, because he is returning, we must faithfully and diligently be serving the Lord. You say, well, that's awfully, like, maybe it's, it's kind of like a dumb moment. But at the same time, I, I, I even asked myself multiple times through studying for this text, how much did I miss the dumb moment? How often was I not faithfully serving the Lord? How often have I not diligently served the Lord and sought his wisdom. And so the Christian must faithfully and diligently serve the Lord. That is the big idea that we will see from our text this morning. The first point that we are going to look at though is that in verses 42 through 44, we must live alert with a constant readiness. Jesus tells them before this passage, in verse 15, he talks about the tribulation Right, verses, starting in verse 9, that, that the tribulation comes, and in the middle of the tribulation, we have the, the, the desolation, the abomination of desolation. And look at how Christ describes this. This is all what leading up to our text. He's describing all these things to the apostles, to the disciples. He says, verse 19, But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. He continues on, Unless those days had been cut short, verse 22, Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. He's saying at, that, at this midpoint, at this, this abomination of desolation, at the, at the great tribulation, if it weren't for God's grace, if it weren't for it being cut short, it would be devastating to everyone alive. And then verse 29, he talks about the glorious return of our Savior. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. And what he's talking about there in verse 31 is not the church. He's speaking of all those who are saved during the tribulation. So how many of you here this morning consider yourself a procrastinator? I know I struggled with that a lot in college. And to say that I'm completely cured from that would be a lie. So I'm not going to say that. You know, if we're all honest in some fashion, we find ourselves tending to procrastinate in the areas that we just don't like. Things that we don't want to do, we find ourselves tending to procrastinate. I really don't want to go even something as simple as getting more propane for my grill. I just don't want to go in the car. I'm just going to put it off. You know, some are more procrastinate, struggle with it more than others. But when it comes to our Christian life, procrastination states really that God is not the most important. When we procrastinate on things in our Christian life, we're really saying, God, you're not that important right now. And it really isn't being truly alert that Christ may return. Jesus uses the illustration of a master knowing when a thief would come to his home. The master would stay awake and alert so that he's not robbed. If you and I knew that a thief was going to be coming at some point to rob our home, we would prepare and we would seek to be constantly ready to fend him off. See, Jesus doesn't say that the master knows when the thief is coming here in this passage. He says a thief like a thief may come in the night. And so the master gets ready. He prepares. To put this in a 21st century context, we would ask Jim Rice to come and stay at our house with his basement. And so we'd have an armory at our house. We would have security cameras making sure that they're working. We'd have them on every corner of our house. We'd have, them, we'd have huge uh, floodlights on, around our house these huge spotlights that as soon as someone moves in the area, these spotlights light up. We'd have the loudest alarm system we could have that would wake up the neighborhood. We would have all of these different things. We'd have this all set. Why? Because we don't want to be robbed. We would do all we could to prepare for the thief that may come and try. We'd probably have the police on standby. Well, if we're willing to do that to not have our house robbed, let's take that same readiness, that same constant alertness to when Christ is going to return. Are you ready for him to return? What, how, how would he find your life right now? Are you ready for him? See, we do not know when Christ will return. We need to live with alertness and a constant readiness. See, that alertness is really a safeguard to keeping us from sin. Just like when I was a kid and my parents would be gone and they would say, we're going to be back at a certain time. 
I wanted to make sure the house was clean. I wanted to make sure things were put away. Why? Because I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to do what was wrong. I didn't want to do something sinful and disobedient. But when we are constantly seeking to be alert to when the Lord may come and constantly allowing the return of Christ to be on our minds, you know that what that means? That means the person of Christ is the focus of your heart and your mind. And it is the person of Christ, it is the work of Christ, it is the, the Word of God that helps keep you and I from sin. It's a wonderful accountability. And, it, and how many of us like to think about things that are depressing? Hopefully none of us, right? For the Christian, there's nothing depressing about the Lord's return. It's exciting. But we need to live with this constant readiness. You know, when the, the disciples were struggling with the concept of Christ leaving, what does he do? He gives them the promise that he's going to return. He comforts them. So the Lord's return, being alert and ready and have this constant readiness, also will bring comfort in your life. See, in these verses we see Christ in, in John 14, 1 through 6, Christ says to the disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. That's awesome. He comforts them. And then later on in, at the end of Matthew, in Matthew 28, he encourages them with the, the fact that though I go, I have given you my authority to do what I want you to do. We need to be at a constant readiness. Jesus wasn't telling the apostles, the disciples, it's not like he's telling them just to sit there on their front porch and stare up into the sky and just wait. That's not what Jesus is saying here about being ready and be, having that constant readiness and being alert. He's talking about really more so on a spiritual level. How do we be ready? How do we do this? We must live faithful and wise. And in this is the idea of diligence. Christians, we should be about the Lord's work, seeking to honor Him in every area of our life. Jesus here, as He's, he's, as he's speaking here in verse 42 and down in, now in verse 45, He says, Who then is a faithful, sensible slave? So He begins to use a, a picture of a, a faithful slave and a wicked slave. He says, who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. There is a blessing from God for the one who is faithful when he returns.
You say, well, again, he's speaking in the context of his second coming, of, of him coming to earth after the tribulation. Well, for the church, after the rapture, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And we will give account of what we have done. And in the Gospels, in, in another place, what does Jesus tell them? He says, he's speaking and says, well done, the phrase, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Are we seeking to live faithfully? As a servant of Christ, what have we been assigned to do? What has God assigned you to do? Matthew 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is the task that we are given to be faithful about? We have been given the task of being disciple makers. Are you busy about doing God's job that he has given to you? Part of being alert, part of being ready is doing the work that God has called us to do. We see in these verses that what the master, when the, when the master comes back and the slave, the faithful slave is what? He is blessed for doing what God had called them, the master had called them to do. We are commanded not to forsake the church he has ordained us to be a part of. How are you actively serving one another? And I'm not talking just about the programs and the, the aspects of those ministries. How are you serving one another? How are you investing your life in someone else? Doing life together. You cannot escape the New Testament without seeing that that is the truth of the God's word. That we are investing our lives in others. And not just on a, on a tertiary level, not just on a surface level, but getting deep with one another. And sharing your struggles with sin with one another. And asking for help, spiritually speaking. Yes, the physical things are important too, but more important than that is the physical needs and helps. If you evaluate your part in the life of our church, if you were to evaluate your part in ministering to others, what would that evaluation show? If the Lord were to return and rapture his church today, what would he say to you? Would the evaluation that you are doing of yourself truly honor and magnify God? So Jesus states that the faithful servant will be blessed for his obedience. He will be blessed for his obedience. See, constant readiness is active service. When we are focused on Christ, we will want to serve Christ. Serving Christ brings joy. Part 
of living faithfully is living and serving diligently. It's not just enough to do it, but to do it diligently. The faithful servant here, as Jesus is speaking, he is, he's clearly faithful and diligent in it because we see that the wicked slave is the opposite. He sits back, drinks, and, and engages in all the pleasure that he can f- come up with that he wants. He pleasures himself. He's self-indulgent, self-pleasing, not diligent. It is not that we just serve consistently, but that we do so with diligence. We cannot live life however we see fit. The wicked servant does this. It says, but if that evil slave, that wicked slave, says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat with drink and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The unfaithful servant takes the master's unpredictable return as the master being gone for a long time, maybe not even coming back. And so he decides to live life how he wants. We can't live like that. So what about you? Are you seeking to satisfy your own pleasures, your own goals, what you want? Are you seeking to be constantly ready, alert, that the Lord may come back at any time and that you want to be caught being faithful and obedient before our Lord? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We all have blind spots. We all struggle with sin. And that's why we need one another. But what in your life this morning is taking place of or is hindering your focus on Christ and His return? What is it on your bucket list that is drawing your focus and attention away? We must be striving to do all to the glory of God. See, all those who profess to serve God must accept the truth that the service must be wholehearted and that in due course they will give account of themselves to one from whom nothing is hidden. One commentator put it. There's a pretty horrible punishment for the wicked slave, the evil slave. Which brings us to our third point, is that we need to heed the warning of living unfaithful. We need to heed the warning of living unfaithful. Now, Jesus himself does not give an actual warning here. But I would say that looking at the illustration of the evil slave is a warning enough. A person who goes through life completely ignoring Christ in his return will be cast into hell, a place of complete torment. Luke 12, 46 says, The master of that slave will come on a day. This is a parallel passage to Matthew. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, 
and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. We live in a world that mocks God. The wicked servant here is really living as an unbeliever. But we see that the world really hasn't changed much. Jesus will be back to set up and rule his kingdom. Men and women, young adults and children, families, religious leaders, political leaders, entertainment stars, music stars, business owners, factory workers, and we could keep the list going and describing the people of the world. But all of these people live ignoring the message that Jesus is coming back. If you go to the end of Matthew, and I've already read it, we are what? As his children, we are what? We are as his church. We are given the command to what? To tell all these people that the Lord is coming. See, for the believer, it's rejoicing. For the unbeliever, it's judgment. Judgment is coming. And if we truly love others, like Christ loves the world, like Christ loves you, we will tell them about this message. We won't just academically think it. We won't just agree when we talk about it. But we'll put feet to our words and do it. We live in a a city of 135,000 people, roughly. What are you doing to reach your neighbors with this message? A message of judgment, sure, to them, but it can become a message of joy and rejoicing. See, the unsaved world, they ignore the signs and the events that that precede his coming. They rather seek to mock and eliminate all references of Christ. The thought of Christ goes against their own self-made laurels, which they seek to live and please themselves with. The world needs to heed the truth that Jesus is coming. The Christian needs to be busy about heeding this warning by fulfilling the great commission and living out the life that is free from the bondage of sin. See, our God is a holy God, and if you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, the tribulation period is not something that you want to go through. The tribulation period that Jesus discusses here is God's judgment on sin. Yes, Israel is the center of all that is happening, but God is seeking to restore Israel to himself. And we know from Revelation that all the peoples of the world will one day bow down at Jesus' feet. God in his holiness sent Jesus to die for the sins of the world, for your sins. And those who call by faith, repent of their sin, calling on the name of the Lord, shall be saved, will be saved. And they will enter the kingdom, the millennial kingdom that takes place as Christ sets foot on earth. He sets up his kingdom. He conquers permanently. See, God is a holy God and he hates sin. But he's also just. 
And so their sin and wickedness deserve a punishment. Apart from Christ, we don't deserve, in fact, not apart from Him, we just don't deserve heaven at all. We deserve hell. But it is because of Jesus Christ. It is because of what he did on the cross that you and I have a relationship with God. And if you're, not, if you're here and you're not saved, that is, there is punishment for your sin and you deserve the punishment. You deserve the punishment of hell. We do not deserve God's grace and mercy. We do not deserve his love. We deserve his condemnation. But then we see that we can praise God. And, and if you're here and you don't know, it doesn't end there. It's not just, it ends at this negative aspect of things. It moves into the positive because God is a loving God. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come the first time so that you could have eternal life. He died on the cross for your sins. He shed his blood, making atonement for sin. Christ exchanged his righteous account for your wicked account. It is then through his resurrection that Christ won the victory over sin and death. The way has been made for every person to have a relationship with God. And we see God's grace and mercy Though we deserved hell, God in his divine favor saved us. Not of anything of our own. And if you've never asked Christ to come into your heart and save you, please talk to me after the service today. I would love to talk with you. Christian, if you're here this morning and you know Christ, why are you delaying to take every opportunity to share the gospel? Why? Romans 8.1 gives us a wonderful blessing that there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. We won't be condemned. Jesus took care of that for us. But we will be judged on what we have done or not done for Christ. We need to be living, teaching, and preaching the gospel. We need to be making and growing disciples. We need to be holy as God is holy. We need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We need to submit our will to God's will. We need to be daily renewing our minds and bringing our thoughts captive to Christ because Christ is going to come back. He is returning. So how do we prepare? How do we constantly be ready? We must be faithfully and diligently serving the Lord. What a glorious truth that the Lord is coming back. Are you prepared? Are you ready for him to return? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. Lord, we see in the text that you encourage the you encourage the apostles to be ready for your return. Help us to be ready. We don't know when you're coming back. 
But Lord, we know that you've promised that you will come back. And for us as believers, it's an exciting moment. But it also, for those who don't know the Lord, it's, it's a sobering moment. And Lord, I encourage others, you've encouraged me to be more faithful in sharing the wonderful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around me. Lord, that we would be faithful in doing the commission that you've given to us. That we would be ready constantly at alert for your return. And so it is with this that we thank you for the opening of your word this morning. May you continue to work in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen.